Carol, what do all of our topics have in common this week? Let me think. Smooth hydrangeas, cilantro, cut flowers. I know, they're all plants. Well, yeah, they're all plants because we always talk about plants. But... Oh, pollinators. (laughs) They have pollinators in common. Yes, they need pollinators. Let's go. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want you to love it too. Yes, we do. And we're not afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. How does your garden grow? Well, we're recording this the day before the 4th of July. You know the old saying, knee high by the 4th of July when it comes to corn. Yes. Is yours knee high? Of course it is. It's a waist high. Really? Yeah. In fact, I bought sweet corn at the farmer's market yesterday, and that corn is grown in Indiana. So there's people picking corn if you do it right, I guess. People are picking corn here, too, because I had some in my CSA, some of the best corn I've ever eaten. Anyway. So I told my neighbor, I said, I bought some sweet corn. I said, it was a buccaneer. And he said, buccaneer, is that a, is that a variety? And I says, no, it was a dollar an ear. It was a dollar an ear. And I thought my dad would be rolling in his grave thinking his daughter's dumb enough to pay a dollar for an ear of corn. Well, that's what people pay for it here, too. It's very oh, yeah. expensive. Yeah. But well, actually, when you buy, I bought two ears and she gave me a third one for free. So it's really like 65 cents an ear. Well, and here's the thing. If you grow corn, it's a lot of work. So I always figure there's a lot of sweat, sweat equity in that corn, and I don't mind paying for it. So are you watering a lot? I am watering a ton, and I use city waters, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, the water bill is going to be outlandish because I've been having to water more. I had to water the vegetable garden this morning. There's places in my garden, like I have wild ginger that grows just in the shade. Right. It is flat to the ground. Tucker it out because it's not gotten any rain. But but on the bright side, yes, I have picked squash, and I have picked some cherry tomatoes. I was going to pull out all my sweet peas, but those vines look pretty good. So Still. I left them alone, did a little weeding. And I haven't had to mow the grass for two weeks because it's been so dry. Even with watering, I mean, I'm not keeping up. So, that's okay. But that's enough. Yeah, about me. It's, you know, it's summertime. What about your garden? So it's all about water this week in my garden, too, because we're going to get back over up over 100 degrees. Um, boo. Yeah, boo. As you, so let's talk about the water first, not the 100 degrees. So um, I noticed that some of my tomatoes at the end of the drip line in the containers were not getting any water, and I found dead ants in the line. That happens a lot between years. And then I replaced the lines and emitters, and then Bill and I fixed the drip irrigation in the pots on the deck, and we fixed leaking hoses in the cut flower beds, and I also discovered that the timer on the bed facing the street had been turned off. I walked past that bed, and everybody was like lying on their, you know, lying down like your ginger, looking bad. Even though they're prairie plants and they don't need a lot of water, 
I thought, what? <laughs> so I turned back around and went and checked and somebody had turned it off to fix it and forgot to turn it back on. So that's an important reminder to everyone that even if you have everything on timers or on a system, you still have to check it periodically. You still have to go outside when it's cool in the mornings. That's true. You want to hear a gross ant story? I, you know, ants pretty much are gross, so sure. So I was out the other morning, and the hose that I have hanging out by the vegetable garden, I saw two cicadas on it. You know, those big bug-eyed bugs. I know what cicadas are. Huge big things. Mm -hmm. And so I left them because I'm kind that way. And I went out there this morning, and they're, they're dead, and they've got the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little ants crawling all over them. And I thought, well, there's, there's still, it's disgusting. But yeah, I it's sugar it. ants. Yeah. Tiny, um, tiny things. Yeah, they really are tiny, but boy, they can, they can carry off. They're the, what would you call them? The disposal creatures of the insect world. I don't know why they die, but I'm going to see how long it takes for those ants to haul them off or do Dissect whatever they're going to do with them. Okay, that sounds fun and special in yeah. Carol's garden this week. How about you do the quote? <laughs> fun things to do in the garden. Watch dead things. All right, I'm going to do as a quote. I grow plants for many reasons, to please my eye or to please my soul, to challenge the elements or to challenge my patience, for novelty or for nostalgia, but mostly for the joy in seeing them grow. And that is by... David Hobson. So today, all of our quotes are by David Hobson, who we don't know, even though he's in GardenCom. Nope. He's a garden writer, and we just liked his quotes. Um, he writes quite a bit. So anyway, hi, David. I doubt if you listen to this podcast, but we're using your quotes today because they're good ones. And our flower this week is the fabulous Hydrangea arborescens Annabelle, the smooth Hydrangea, the native Hydrangea. The one that grows in the U.S. and its friends. So what do we want to say about it? That it's very lovely and um, it has stronger stems. It does attract pollinators where many, many uh, hydrangeas yep. are sterile and they don't really, pollinators could care less. Yeah, like limelight. Limelight is beautiful, but it is completely sterile and nobody goes to it. So... I oh I have limelight. I have one limelight. I think it's a fabulous shrub, but if I'm going to take up a lot of area with shrubs, I want it to feed the insects too. So I found this from Southern Living online, and I thought it was really good. It said that Annabelle, I, did, I mean, I knew it was discovered in Illinois, but I didn't know when. So Annabelle was discovered in 1910, and it was growing near the southern Illinois town of Anna, hence the name Annabelle. Right. And it's part of the smooth hydrangea family. And smooth hydrangeas have big, big leaves, and they're deciduous, of course. And they grow wild in most of the eastern half of the country, as well as in Kansas and Oklahoma, and I assume Indiana, Indiana right? Don't they grow in Indiana? Yeah. yeah. And so, I've not, I, I haven't seen one in the wild, but I'm assuming that they do. I'm sure they do. Wild places. The cultivar Annabelle is a particularly hardy version. And it, I, I have seen it. I don't see it very much in Oklahoma, although it's getting much more popular, partly because I try to write about it and talk about it all the time. And you can now get pieces of it. it used to be you had to get a cutting from someone, which is how I got it. Anyway, but back east, I see it 
everywhere. In fact, it's a little tiresome in some of the cities we've been in, but not in, not where I live. I mean, nobody really grows it much. So Annabelle, people have tried to improve upon. Oh, I was going to say more about this. Okay, so this was really cool. So this particular version of the shrub had such great flowers, and so people started passing it around, which is how I got my piece. And a professor finally took notice, and he began producing it in the 1960s commercially. I thought that was really cool. That is cool. The other best thing about Annabelle is it blooms on new wood. So you can cut the shrubs. Yay. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the whole, if I cut this back, will it bloom this year? Yes. Yes, it will. You can make it four feet tall. You can make it three feet tall. It doesn't matter. It's going to bloom. And so um, an easy, easy plant to grow, in my opinion. It also does well in my state in both shade and partial sun. But you do have to have some sort of irrigation on it here. How does it do in Indiana? Yeah, hydrangeas like a lot of water. They do. Hydro is in their name. Yes. Mine are suffering right now. I need to walk, I need to go around and find all the hydrangeas and give them all good long drinks of water. Yeah, you need to do that in the morning when you're when it's not so hot because it's hot here even in the morning. So since she has fertile flowers, pollinators love her, and we thought we would also talk just a little bit about some that have been created from Annabelle that have been introduced to the market. You guys might grow some of these. So the first one they came out with, I think, was Incredible, and Incredible to me looks just like Annabelle, but it's supposed to have stronger stems. So the heads of the flowers, the blooms, don't nod. Right. But I think that's part of the charm of Annabelle, so I don't need an Incredible. Do you have an Incredible? You know what? I'm going to tell you the truth of the matter is I have never kept track of which hydrangeas I have, other than I know I have a, a limelight, which is the, not a smooth hydrangea. It's a panicle hydrangea. Right, which is hydrangea paniculata. Um Okay, so another one that they brought out was Invincible, which was pink, and it was related to breast cancer. I never could grow Invincible to save my life. I can't tell you how many I killed. However, then they brought out Invincible Ruby, and somebody sent me a version of it, and it stays quite small. I'd say it's like two feet tall. It does fabulous. I have not had a bit of trouble with Invincible Ruby but I haven't noticed any pollinators on it either. I'm not saying it doesn't attract them. I just haven't noticed it. I believe that one of my hydrangeas is Invincible Ruby. I'm pretty sure. But like you, I don't really notice any pollinators on it. Um, it's It has its struggles this year. Oh, is it struggling? Oh. In the dryness. Yeah, you because you don't have drip irrigation on your stuff because normally you don't need it. Here we need it. So I always tell people, put those lines right at the bottom of the plant. Then there's hydrangea. So we wanted to talk about the different types of hydrangeas. And there's hydrangea paniculata, hydrangea arborescens, and hydrangea corsifolia. There's also a macrophylla or a macrophylla. But um, I don't grow the last one, which is the big leaf hydrangea, because it is too hard to grow here. And it needs a lot of water. I have a lot of paniculatas. I have a lot of corsifolias and I wrote a whole post on them that I tell people about all the time when I go to their houses because they ask me about hydrangeas. And so we're going to link to that. And I've also done a 
bunch of posts on Annabelle in particular. We'll link to those too. Do you have anything else about hydrangeas you want to say? Yes, we're also going to link, this is like Link City. We're going to link to a Proven Winners page where they talk about different hydrangeas, particularly the arborescence and the paniculata, and they list all the different ones. So if you're confused, mm-hmm. then you can look at that and it can show you which, what, which is what. And I'm just going to give you a quick shout out for hydrangea paniculata quickfire. I also have little quickfire which is just a smaller version of quick fire. And I think there's an improved quick fire now. Quick fire is fabulous. I just can't say enough nice things about it. Also a pollinator magnet. I haven't noticed it so much with little quick fire. I did notice that one of the little hydrangeas I have, which was probably sent to me by proven winners that I have growing, the tag is still there. And I looked at it today and I said, Oh, that's quick fire. I should remember that for the podcast. Is it little? It must be little quick fire if it's small. It's small because it just got planted last year. Oh, you got it and last actually, year. And okay. actually, I planted that one. So the story was they sent me, I think it's little lime, which is a panicle. And so I realized that where they had, I put Ruby, I really wanted little lime there. And so Ruby got dug up after a year and moved over to another spot. And then little lime got put in that spot. And so it's, yeah. So anyway, it's, it's, it's doing well. It's Mm -hmm. doing well considering how dry it is. It's actually doing pretty well. And for our listeners, Proven Winners went through a stage where they were all about hydrangeas. And so a bunch of us got a bunch of different hydrangeas to try Best thing ever for me, because then I knew which ones I really liked, and I've used them throughout. So I can't say enough nice things about them. You can also, and we get nothing for this. We're not Proven Renters representatives or anything, but you can order now directly from them, or you can order from Nature Hills on these various ones. My only caveat is if I'm going to put a hydrangea in my garden at this point, it's got to attract some pollinators because they take up a lot of room. They do. They can. I would agree with you 100%. The other thing I would say is um, go to your local garden center and see what they have and ask them what their experience was with it. Because I know up at the greenhouse, they they have a lot of different proven winners, hydrangeas, and some others. And they're always wanting to know how they're doing in people's gardens because, you know, they get a lot of the new varieties and they don't want to sell them if they're not like very, very reliable because it just reflects on them if they're not good. So they always want to know how it's really doing. So did you tell them you hate Bobo? I I did tell them I had problems with Bobo. Now, I will have to say that Bobo is in a better spot than Bobo was in before. Uh-huh. And I think Bobo is going to be better in the new spot. It was just getting way, way, way too much sun out front. Okay. I'm so. going to replace Bobo with lava lamp in the fall, but, you know... I, I just don't like it. I don't think the blooms are very pretty. So do you, are we? Well, it's in a better place. <laughs> yeah, that's, mine's going to be in a quote unquote better place too, called the compost <laughs> <Yeah>. pile. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hydrangeas are good. We're, we, all our listeners are going to say, oh my gosh, don't ever buy Bobo. Bobo in the right place is probably okay. Go ahead and do a quote, Dee. Yep, gardening and laughing are the two of the best things in life you can do to promote good health and a sense of well-being. David Hobson. That is true. 
So veggie, you're, are you growing this veggie right now? I am not currently growing cilantro, but in another couple of weeks, I will probably start some cilantro because here's the funny thing about cilantro, which is what we're going to talk about in the vegetable thing. And I wrote an article for Family Handyman about how to grow cilantro, so we're going to link to that. But the weird thing is when you're glutted with tomatoes and you're glutted with peppers and you think, I think I'll make some salsa and you want to put cilantro in it. Yeah. Cilantro is a cool season herb i will call it yeah and so it it doesn't like the heat it bolts really fast so it does the trick is to plant it like about two weeks before you think you need it and then as soon as it comes up and has enough leaves cut it off and just cut it as fast as you can so grow it like a microgreen or or you could actually grow it inside as a microgreen and then cut and use that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would advocate putting it on a container like on your patio if you had a tiny bit of shade for it in the hot of the summer. Okay, you're going to need a lot water. of a lot of shade for it in Oklahoma. But yes. So that would be the thing is just plant it and then and as soon as I mean, it's really ready. As soon as you see leaves, you can cut those leaves, and it'll have cilantro taste. It's not like it has to mature to a certain size or anything. Right. In in fact, if you see seeds, you're done. It's not going to be very good. And if you see the tips of the leaves getting kind of feathery looking, the leaves, then it's, it's also, it's getting ready to flower, and it's also too late. So pick it little is the best advice I can give. Other than that, it's... It's seeds. You put them in the ground. It's pretty easy. It's very easy to grow, but it needs cooler weather. So in the summer, I just go buy cilantro for my stuff. Yeah, but you got to be careful buying cilantro because sometimes it's a little, a little bit slimy. I do not buy slimy. I know the difference between slimy cilantro and non-slimy. <laughs> anyway, what I was going to say is... D, some of our listeners are going, cilantro, ugh, yuck. Yeah, Bill hates it. People either like it or they don't. And, you know, you and I were out at a restaurant in Salt Lake City, remember? Yes. And we went to a Mexican restaurant. One of her friends got a dish and it arrived. And she, like, she like reco- they, they could have put a live rattlesnake on her plate. She recoiled in horror Yeah, because she saw cilantro leaves on it. She's I can't eat it. Yeah, some people really hate it. Yeah. She's very kind. She did not realize it had cilantro, and mm-hmm. they won't even pick it off and eat it. No, they won't, because it might be in there, and it tastes like soap to them. Here's the thing is, it tastes like soap to me, too, just a little bit, but not much. So I, it doesn't really bother me, and I kind of like it and stuff. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice addition for any kind of Mexican dish and stuff. So... Anyway, grow it in a little bit of shade in the middle of the summer, or actually you could actually start it inside in a sunny window where it's cooler. And like I said, microgreens is perfect for that. Yeah, that's how I would grow it in Oklahoma if you want it. For your your salsa. For your salsa. Or your gazpacho. I make a lot of gazpacho in the summer too. It's cool. Right now we need cool. That's right. And I have a ton of tomatoes. We'll link to the article on Family Handyman in case people want to know more, but that's all we got on the vegetables. So the next quote, I enjoy the cleaning up, something about the getting of things in order for winter, making the garden secure, a battening down of the hatches perhaps. It just feels right. 
David Hobson. I like David Hobson a lot. I don't know him, but yeah. I like his thoughts about things. So you picked out our book, and I bought it. I love this book. Did you get it? I did. Okay, the book is A Year Full of Flowers by Sarah Raven. And I went to the library the other day to return a book, and, to, and I was just browsing around, and I looked at their little display of gardening books because I like to see if I see any of my friends on that rack, and I do usually. And then yeah, here's this book, A Year Full of Flowers by Sarah Raven. I think, oh, I'm going to check that out. It's lovely, isn't it? Yes, and oh, my goodness, it's just a bit of peace. So when you told me about it, my library didn't have it. But I love Sarah Raven. I love her style of gardening. Um, we should talk a little bit about Sarah Raven. She was a, she is a florist, and she lives in England. And her farm is called, is it Perch Hill? Perch Hill Am Farm. Am I saying that right? Perch Hill Farm. She also owns Sissinghurst with her husband. So they own it together because it's his it was his aunt. I think, if I'm remembering right, Vida Sackville West was his aunt. I think it was his great-grandmother. So maybe his great-grandmother. Anyway, this really isn't about Sissinghurst. But she owns Perch Hill with her husband, and that's where they actually live, I think, most of the yes. time. And this book is beautiful. It is the best of um, color gardening, is what I would call it. Yes. I would call it that, Gosh, too. so pretty. She goes month by month, and she doesn't really, you kind of have to do a translation because her months, what flowers in some of her months, like she has violas in January and February, and they would be in March and April. Right. But she doesn't try to cover every single flower out there, but just like her favorites for the month. And some months she really, like September, she only talks about dahlias, dahlias, darling. Which they call dahlias. In other months, she talks about a few extra things, but it's just—it's beautiful. You know, it's a good read, and she she writes it kind of in the first person. You know, it's really a personal book, right? Because she really loves flowers. I have her other book called, I think, Color in the Garden, and it actually had an introduction by. Um, oh gosh, I should not try to talk off the cuff. Not today. Uh, Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd wrote the introduction for it. And I love that book so much that it's like the spine is broken because I've read and read. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And so this one will be like that too, mostly because the pictures are gorgeous. They are. Whoever the photographer is, and you, I don't have the book in front of me because it's in my living room or my bedroom where I was reading it. But um, the photographer took gorgeous pictures. The color on them is perfect. And she does these collages. Jonathan Buckley is the photographer. Okay. Jonathan Buckley. So the way it's set up, you'll have a whole page of something, and then you'll have a collage of different ways it's grown in her garden. Yes. I, I loved it. I thought it was beautiful, and I've been reading like a month a night since I got it. Yeah. I need to, you know, I this is going to have to go back to the library, so I should put this on my list, and I should get it. Don't you think I need yeah, it? Yeah, it's worth owning. Oh, I do. I do think you need it. It's a really good book. Because um, also, heaven knows we don't have enough gardening books. Oh, my gosh. We should we should do a thing of our bookshelves because it's crazy, right? It is. We, You know what? I, I, I feel like I need a big purge in my bookshelf, and then some book will fall from my shelf into my hands somehow, and I'm thinking, I wouldn't want to get rid of that one. 
Exactly. That's it's kind of hard. Um, I'm taking out some of my fiction and doing more, um, more gardening stuff. But I did purge some of them because some of them I don't need, but some of them I do, and some I give to friends. Yeah, I'm not giving this one away though. I almost exclusively get fiction from the library and read it on my Kindle. I rarely buy fiction. I buy gardening books. I buy reference, not reference books. I buy books that I think I might read more than once, but I, I generally fiction is library. That's a good idea. So um, I also wanted to say she has a beautiful Instagram. And that one picture that I pulled up and sent to you when we were talking about this book at the beginning by ourselves of the vases, the color-coordinated uh-huh. vases with the flowers – Guys, it's worth going to look at. We should link to it. Yeah, if you send me the link to it, I, I'm too lazy to go look for it. I'll be happy to put it in the show notes. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So let's go on to this quote, and then we'll talk about our dirt. If there's one thing I can say about my garden, it can always surprise me, and that is David Hobson. That is true. <laughs> there's always a surprise out there. Some good surprises. And then some bad surprises. Yeah, there's a lot of bad surprises, especially right now. Um, We've got to send this episode to David Hobson just for fun. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so our dirt this week is regenerative agriculture. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's the new buzzword. It's the new buzzword in agriculture, and it really is exactly like it sounds. So uh, I'm going to put it in Carol's terms. It is farming in such a way that you are adding to the land rather than always taking away from the land. Right. And so that means more organic methods. It means leaving crops, you know, not tilling them in all the time. Cover crops, cutting them down and leaving them as mulch and planting right into the mulch, which is fascinating, I think. Leaving hedgerows and things for pollinators and birds and things like that. And we, we, we didn't talk about it on this episode, but I think out in California, I'm going to say, mm-hmm. they found that I'm going to, I'm going to completely butcher this, but let me just say that when they started leaving the edges of the fields wild, mm-hmm. it improved the crops that were grown in the field. They had better pollination. The plants were healthier. There were far fewer pests when they had that wild area next to it. And I think that's something to think about. Yeah, I think more and more farmers are doing that. And you linked to Farmer Lee Jones, our favorite, the author of The Chef's Garden, who has that fabulous, amazing farm up in Ohio. He has a little video on Vimeo. And he also has an Instagram, which I really enjoy because he sometimes does these little lessons about life and vegetables. Um, he just seems like somebody who is filled with joy to me, peaceful joy. Yes. And so it but he did not have it easy. They no, did not have it easy. No. In fact, they lost everything at first. They did. They did. And then they started, but he was committed that, you know, their family were vegetable growers and they they were going to get right back into it, and they started small, and they have a huge operation now, but it really is about returning to the soil, um, keeping the soil healthy. And I think as much as growing vegetables, he's growing good soil. Yeah, leaving things better than when you first came. It's sort of like the Boy Scouts. So that also takes us to the documentary you got me to watch, The Pollinators, 
which started out being about honeybees. And then what they've realized is with honeybees are considered, by the way, my cat, my sister's cat is like wanting to be fed. So he is driving me insane. So if I skip around on something, please forgive me because he's, he wants to be fed. And so he's jumping all over me. Okay, the pollinators. It started out with honeybees because honeybees are considered an agricultural um, animal. They are not considered just an insect. And the reason for correct. And the reason that's important is they are the most studied insect on the planet because they matter to agriculture. I did not realize how much they mattered to agriculture until I watched this. I thought I knew, but then when I realized all the honeybee power in the United States that isn't hobbyist has to pollinate the um, almond crop in California. I thought, good Lord, that's scary, right? So Yeah, because when you look at the, the pictures that they showed or the footage of the almond crops in California, there is nothing, nothing but almonds as far as the eye can see. And so a, a, ba- a bumblebee is not going to sustain itself there because the blooms don't last long enough, you know they they would pollinate those, two and weeks. then there would there would be nothing left for them to eat after two weeks, and so they would all die. So, because these guys, it's amazing how many millions of bees they truck around the United States, and they, they kind of have a route they follow. Mm-hmm. They and definitely it is devastating do. when their bees die. Yeah, and we won't go into all of that. That part was really sad, but. What made it interesting is that because we study honeybees so much, we now know some of what's wrong with our native pollinators. And um, some of the same situations are happening to them too. And a lot of it is loss of habitat. And so then at the end, they talked about regenerative farming. I loved that section on regenerative farming. And so it took me down my rabbit hole. Do you want to talk about rabbit holes now since it's connected? Yeah, since we're down that rabbit hole. So your rabbit hole was regenerative farming, I take it. It Well, it was, I was remembering about this movie, The Biggest Little Farm, which came out in 2018. Uh And that was about regenerative farming. They didn't talk about it that way because that term wasn't being bandied about as much in 2018. It's a great show. And I think you can watch it on Prime too. And they now have, so it, It was a couple who bought an old lemon farm that was totally played out and what they did in order to bring it back. It's still one of my very favorite movies. So I wondered about that couple. That's my rabbit hole part. I wondered about that couple and what happened to them because the man was a filmmaker and I can't remember what his wife did, but they ended up leaving their jobs in the city and moving to the country. And it, he's such a good filmmaker that it made the story very engaging. But what, where do they, you know, where do they go from there? Well, it made them very, very popular and they started doing tours. And so they're back with a new shorter documentary that's on Disney plus that is called the biggest little farm, the return. And they also have a cookbook coming out in the fall called the apricot lane farms cookbook because their farm is actually apricot lane farm. And um, I just thought people would be interested in that. And I yeah, I really enjoyed going down that rabbit hole. Cool. I didn't. I don't know about rabbit holes, but I did start another jigsaw puzzle this week. It's called A Year of the Country Diary of an Edwardian Lady, Edith Holden. Love that yeah, book. Yeah, so. Love that anyway, book. Anyway, I bought a puzzle that's like the 
12 months of the year, each one in a little square. And I started working on that. And then <laughs> I spent way too much time browsing my downfall. I don't, I don't know why, but I love to buy blank notebooks that have pretty covers. That you don't write in. <laughs> that you don't write in. I always think, oh, I'm going to write. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. We've never really talked about this. I love blank notebooks, but I can't stand to write in them, which is kind of stupid. No, because <laughs> you don't want to ruin it. Right, because it's so, so cute or pretty or whatever. Yeah. I know, but it's a terrible thing. But I found this. I'm going to hold this up for you. I found this place that had these stickers that look like pressed violets. Oh, those look like real pressed violets. Yeah, and so we'll put a link to these. Oh, we don't get anything from this company. It's out of it's a family out of Seattle to Washington. And anyway, <laughs> these look exactly like pressed violets. Those would be so pretty on like a letter to someone. On a letter, or I thought, you know, if I uh, somebody bought a book, I'd put one of those in there just at random on the page. That, that would might be great. make them mad, though. So when it's not too hot, what are you doing in your garden this week? So when it's not too hot, um, I am going to be, well, I'm going to be watering, obviously. Yeah. And I think now that I've picked a couple of squash, the squash will start coming in pretty hot and heavy. I'm watching for the first ripe tomato the big ones i've gotten some cherry tomatoes and stuff i'm waiting for the big ripe tomatoes i'm just gonna watch for pests and things and you know just kind of whatever yeah pest pest pressure insect pressure is getting pretty heavy right now i've noticed you it know? is i've um, noticed the japanese beetles have arrived and ugh. you know i went out to facebook and you know people are all freaking out well, what can i do what can i do i'm like we have had japanese beetles around this place for 20 years you don't do nothing. In fact, the good news about this really dry weather right now, ground as hard as a rock. So when those uh, Japanese beetles try to lay eggs, they won't be able to lay eggs. So we might have less Japanese beetles next year. Isn't that good? Yeah, good. that is good. We're having a banner crop of Japanese beetles. This is the only second year I've seen them in my garden. I wrote a whole post on what to do about them, and a lot of people well, three, told me the, about milky spore, which I did not include in my post, and there was a reason for that. Milky spore disease, it has to be a particularly particular variety of milky spore. It can't just be any milky right. spore. Um, that bacteria does work, but it is so expensive. And so, yeah, I, yeah it might last in your soil 20 years, maybe, um, if the temperature and water is right. But the truth of the matter is, it's expensive. It's $42.97 for 2,500 feet. Anyway, we can link to my Japanese beetle post if people want to. Um, if we don't, that's cool too. So do you want to know what I'm doing in my garden? Besides knocking Japanese beetles into soapy water, which I sort of find amusing? No. I was just writing a note to myself. Link to D's. Oh, you didn't. She didn't hear what I said because she was writing a note. I said, "Do you want to hear about my I garden?" I do want to hear about your garden. Of course, I do. What I'm going to do? I'm going to keep harvesting tomatoes. I harvest them when they're a little bit green. Um, I had a friend over, and she was like, "Are those really going to turn?" Well, I'm going to send her a picture today showing her that they did turn. They've started. They're almost ripe. And then I'm going to trim up the diseased leaves. I think I said I was doing that last week, but there's more diseased leaves. I might harvest some of my honey on Monday morning. We're coming to the end of my flow. And I just don't want to end up like we're, Bill and I are going somewhere. So I don't want to end up having wax moth in my honey because they slime it. 
Isn't that, that disgusting? I, I, I've never heard anybody say a sentence quite like that. That's disgusting. I never thought about it. It's so disgusting. So I had never seen it before, but then somebody posted about it on Facebook on one of my groups, and I was like, gross. The other thing I'm doing is um, taking pictures of butterflies because it's too hot. There you go. To do anything Live in the dream, Dee. Live in the dream. I am. Well, that's it. We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelist. I hope you've hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 midnight Eastern Time. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. It does really help us get noticed by others and moves us up in the food chain. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And we invite you to subscribe to our new Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com. It will also be linked in our show notes, and it has better, more expanded show notes. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.